0: Creative Babble. At the Word of Faith Fellowship, deliverance is not something you ask for. You get it whether you like it or not. It's Sunday night after the evening service, it's cold outside. But inside the Word of Faith Fellowship sanctuary, the temperature is rising. Tonight, it's Matthew Fenner's turn to receive deliverance and release the devil's controlling his homosexual desires. I'm Javier Leva, and this is season 3, The Prophet Let's define gay as the Word of Faith Fellowship sees it. Let's say a man speaks to another man. Maybe he looks at him for too long or laughs at his joke. That can be considered gay. Maybe you're standing too close. It doesn't matter. If I'm a Word of Faith Fellowship member and I think you're gay, well, then you're gay. I don't have to prove it. I just know. And I can't let you suffer with those gay demons either. Oh no. I have to pray for you to get those gay spirits out of your body. And the way we pray at the Word of Faith Fellowship is through loud prayer. And it's not just me praying for you. Susie, Bobby, Roger, they're all gonna join in. And pretty soon, you'll have 20 to 30 people screaming at you. And like Jane told me, people could get carried away. So it's easy to imagine that this prayer can become a little bit more than just a scream. I might hold on to your shoulders and give you a gentle tug. Then I might punch you in the chest and maybe my hands will creep further up. And before I realize it, my fingers are wrapped around your neck. This hypothetical scenario that I just painted for you is exactly what Matthew Fenner says happened to him. Witnesses say Matthew was leaving prayer service one night when nearly two dozen people surrounded him in the sanctuary. He said they slapped, punched, choked, and screamed at him for hours. He claims they did this to expel his homosexual demons.
1: Like sometimes there was, they called corporate prayer, where everyone would pray together. So that night was not one of those nights.
0: This is Danielle Cordez. She was there that night. The church members decided it was time to pray over Matthew Fenner's gay sins. Remember, this is after the evening service, not the happy-go-lucky ceremony I witnessed in the morning. The evening service is a little bit more intimate and damning. No visitors are allowed, and I've been told that Sunday night is a time when Jane and her ministers unleash their anger at the congregation. It's also during this time when older ministers can deal with younger members like Matthew for their sins.
1: One by one, they all started going over there. And then finally, Brooke yells to me across the sanctuary and's like, get over here and pray for Matthew.
0: Tonight's deliverance was led by Brooke Cummington, Jane's so-called adopted daughter. Danielle says she was the one calling all the shots.
1: Brooke was the one there telling them the whole way, you know, coaching them through it. And like the worst part is if we didn't do it and we didn't participate, which I didn't to the extent that they did, I never slapped him or did any of that. I had my arm on him. But if I had, like, I don't know. I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. You know, I knew that if I didn't participate enough, that I was the next one in the chair and no one wanted that, you know? So, I mean, it's terrifying.
0: And people who know Brooke's style of worship say that she doesn't have time to deal with your devils. So when it's time to pray over you, it's gonna hurt. Brooke barks at Danielle and demands her to join in. Danielle was terrified.
1: They don't know how to talk to someone. They only scream at you. Are you gonna let his sin drive him out of here? Meaning drive him out of the church. And so I was like, oh no, you know, cause I didn't want him to leave. Cause that would mean I'd never see him again. So I go over there and I have my hand on his back and we're praying and it's getting really physical at this point like Sarah has her hands on him and is like pushes him backwards to where the chair tips back and then yank like as soon as the chair tips back because she's standing over him in front of him like yanks him back towards her so at this point like Matthew's face is like changing colors like he's white
0: this wasn't like a 10-minute prayer session they say this lasted for hours and danielle says that brooke was orchestrating the whole thing
1: brooke would like someone who was like tired in the center who had been praying for him she would take them out of the center and bring another person in for the next one who had energy
0: danielle says that brooke would just rotate people in to attack matthew it was non-stop Danielle says that one guy had his arm wrapped around Matthew and was just beating him in his chest.
1: He was on Matthew's right side, and he had his arm around Matthew and had his hand in a fist and was just beating his chest. And they kept on saying... You tell us what you did. And he was like, nothing, like, started crying. And so then Brooke, at that point, jerked him up by his arm and then shoved him down the aisle to where he, like, had to catch himself. Like, I didn't really feel like he could handle much more of this, but they just keep going at it. And, you know, Brooke's like, I don't care if you have to stay in the sanctuary for three days. I don't care. You're going to stay in here till you tell your sin.
0: I can imagine what's going through Matthew's head. How do I get out of this? If I yell, stop, will they actually stop? Can he run for the door? Well, that's not going to work either because the church has security at the entrance and the driveway out of the church's compound is just way too long.
1: Adam Bartley had his hands around his neck and was like squeezing him so tight. And at this point, I was like, this has got to stop. They're going to fucking kill him. And... I was like, what I do, what I do. So I was like, Well, whatever at this point, I'm just gonna do it. And so I stuck my fingers under Adam's hand in between his neck and I peeled him off. And I so he went to like go forward to tell Brooke that I did that and I was like, Wait, wait, wait. I was like, he had surgery and he was like, Oh, I'm sorry I didn't know and I was like, Whoo
0: Eventually, Danielle says that the beating suddenly stopped. Then, Brooke Covington walked up to Matthew in the foyer. Matthew was cornered by the five ministers charged with the crime. Brooke demanded for Matthew to confess his sins. He told her he had unclaimed dreams about a man and he hugged him in an ungodly way. Witnesses say that Brooke closed her fists and punched him with her ring digging into his chest. Matthew gets up They say Brooke then grabs Matthew by one shoulder and pushes him down and yells at him. You're going back there and we're going to get this out of you, she says. They begin deliverance. Witnesses say that they grabbed him by the arm, pulled him, punched him in the chest, and Matthew is sitting, crying, wondering how is he going to get out of this?
1: They went out like two or three times to the foyer area and tried to get him to tell whatever he was supposed to tell and then um brookwood's like it's still not breaking let's pray for him again
0: this scene lasted for 2 hours
1: and i mean i think i got home at like 2:45 a.m.
0: matthew just starts thanking everyone for the deliverance anything to make them stop
1: at that point i was like if they're going to kill someone it's definitely going to be this time because it was just non-stop and you know punching him and beating him on the chest and like shoving him back and forth. And, you know, it's just like waves of prayer and, you know, Brooke screaming at him and pulling the next person in to pray for him. and
0: It's important to note that Brooke Covington is in her late fifties and the four other ministers charged with the crime were all in their mid twenties. Two of the ministers charged lived with Brooke Covington Their names were Sarah Anderson and Justin Covington. The other two ministers charged with attacking Matthew are Adam Bartley and Robert Walker.
2: You know, one thing led to the next, and then ultimately it led to me, like, escaping on the 29th of January.
0: This is Matthew Fenner. And
2: going to my grandparents' home and then, you know, living there, and that kind of started a whole new chapter, I guess, in my
0: life. The next morning... His mom, Linda, and another church member showed up at Matthew's grandfather's house.
2: That night after I left and um, just kind of barged in and we're just like, what are you doing? Why are you here? This, it just became this whole like yelling thing. Like everyone's like yelling at us. Why are you doing this? Why are you here? You know, do you not remember like people that walk away from God's, you know, works? Like, you know, they'll get God's judgment will come on them. Is like, you know, you're gonna get cancer again and you're gonna die if you like stay out, if you like leave, leave God's place.
0: But it was too late. Matthew had already gone to the police, and he was eventually granted a grand jury investigation to determine whether criminal charges should be brought. Typically, these types of proceedings are secret, and the accused should have like no knowledge of it. But somehow, the word of the grand jury got out to Jane Whaley.
2: They, like, found out that I had gone before a grand jury, which is supposed to be like a secret proceeding, but somehow they knew. And then they, like, showed up the next day and were like, we want to meet with these people, too. And, you know, they're like, we have witnesses that can say otherwise to what Matthew's saying.
0: They had Matthew's mother and his brother, Maddie testify against him.
2: Anyway, yeah, they had all these people that I cared for, like, come in. But, yeah, my mom especially came in and was like supposed to testify against me saying yeah he's lying like I have you know I have firsthand knowledge to know that you know what he's saying isn't true.
0: Maybe the most shocking thing about this whole situation is that the five ministers charged with this crime have been awaiting trial for almost five years now. It's been one delay after another. The trials are currently being held up until the FBI and the SBI finish their investigation. It wasn't easy getting to this point. Remember, if this were a football game, the church is up by a lot and the feds and state prosecutors have yet to put points on the board. Only recently have three church members pled guilty for an unemployment scam. How have they dodged so many accusations? Well, is it because they're innocent or is it because Jane Whaley is running all the plays with the local law enforcement?
3: Originally, they came out and interviewed Matthew. And Joey Sisk at the time was a detective and he was really adamant that, you know, he was going to do this and he was shut down. And whenever Matthew asked him why, he said the D.A. said no. And the sheriff said no. I can't do anything they tell me not to do. Period.
0: This is a secret recording of Matthew talking to the detectives on the case. He wants to know why more serious charges aren't being filed.
2: You know, I've just been done, doing my research and all, and pretty much what that means is we're only going to be able to get misdemeanor for what they did, correct? Right. Okay. It's so, the DA, I mean, the DA in last week, right. he read, he read under your statement. Okay. He read it, and He said the only thing he was willing to prosecute was, was misdemeanor to you. So, okay, so uh, basically what he's willing to do, okay, so if I'm understanding correctly, he's willing just to look at assault by strangulation, you know, slap in, hold me against my will, and say that's just a misdemeanor and just overlook it. That's what he's telling me. But I just don't understand why he's willing to overlook my civil rights to be protected, you know, both for a hate crime, for assault by strangulation, which is a felony, all these, I mean, all these like higher up criminal felonies that they've committed. I mean, I literally thought I was going to die that night. And he's willing just to say, oh, this is just a misdemeanor assault. That's, that's what he's
4: telling
2: me. It's just, I don't know. I'm not going to be like these other people that they're basing their decisions off to just ignore this because they, you know, sucker out of it. These people need to be punished for what they've done. And it makes me sick that these that they're willing to just overlook my civil rights and just say, you know, forget this.
0: So Matthew decided he was gonna take matters into his own hands. If authorities weren't going to pursue criminal charges, well, Matthew will find a way to press charges himself. Here's Nancy Burnett.
3: Matthew, John Huddle, we all always went together because going by yourself up there is just not a smart thing to do. Um, So we would go, you know, in a pack and we showed up and I had already told them all, we're not leaving today without this report. So we went across the street to the DA's office first, and they made us wait 45 minutes. I guess they thought we would leave, and I was like, we're not leaving, sister. He's going to see us today. When the DA came in, he was, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a report.
0: The DA says that he can't help them without a proper incident report.
3: Do you need a report to take action? Yep, need a report. I was like, okay. All right. So if we bring you a report, you're going to do something. Absolutely. Okay. We would never have been given a report before. I said, we're going across the street. So we walked right across the street. It's about as far from here as the building over there, maybe 20 or 30 feet from where we are. I don't know.
0: Matthew Fenner and his supporters were able to find the one officer who didn't seem influenced or intimidated by the church. His name was Wayne Guffey. He happened to be the sergeant on duty that day.
3: They let us through the door, walk around the corner, and there was Wayne Guffey. Matthew sat down. He started to tell him what was going on. And he said, not Matthew said, not I said, not anybody else said, he classified this as a felony case, assault by strangulation, kidnapping.
0: After years of waiting, they finally got a new incident report, this time with some serious charges attached to it.
3: We walked in and we left there with a report that day. We asked for a copy of it. We took it right back across the street and said, here's your report. And when he saw us having the report made, I mean, all the wind was just out of his body. He was like, oh, my God, they've done it. Matthew Fenner waited years before we got his, his report done. He kept saying, go to the magistrate. The magistrate would say, go to the sheriff. The sheriff would say, "Go." To, I mean, it was just back and forth constantly. And I've, I've never experienced anything like it in my life.
0: Michael Davis, a former Rutherford County investigator, told the AP that this investigation should have taken months. He said they should have interviewed the witnesses, they should have gone to the church, they should have written a report and sent it over to the sheriff. He said that never happened. They just wanted this case to go away and they never expected Fenner to push so hard. What they didn't realize was that Matthew Fenner was not backing down. Plus. He had the help of Nancy Burnett and his friends. So why would the district attorney at the time delay this investigation? This is Nancy Burnett again.
3: Brad Greenway was the district attorney there and he sabotaged cases intentionally.
0: This is the same district attorney who's accused of giving Jane a heads up that a grand jury investigation was coming. But now there's a felony on his desk. He just can't ignore it now. Eventually, the new DA, Ted Bell, called for a new grand jury and was able to indict Brooke Covington and the other church ministers. And while the state is preparing to take the church to court, ex-members say that Jane and her leaders were busy preparing for trial too. Remember I told you that Jane's son-in-law was an assistant district attorney at a nearby county? Yeah, well, his name is Frank Webster, and another assistant district attorney who's also a Word of Faith member were accused of holding mock trials for four ministers accused of beating Matthew Fenner. So why is this a problem? Well, because providing legal advice and participating in a mock trial is illegal and could be considered obstruction of justice. Former member Rachel Bryant told the AP that one of the assistant DAs sat in for Matthew Fenner during the mock trial. Then Jane told everyone to stand where they were that night. Rachel said, some would point to his head and say, I put my hand on him right here. Then Jane would start screaming, no, 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 you did not do that. Your hand was not on his head. One by one, they reenacted what occurred that night. Frank Webster and the other assistant DA, both Word of Faith members, resigned their positions as prosecutors. And currently the FBI is looking into the matter. The trial against Brooke Covington and the other ministers is expected to resume sometime soon but I'm not holding my breath. So now I'm bringing this season to a close. This season I've been talking about the Word of Faith Fellowship and Jane Whaley. But that's not what this season is about. There's an even stronger undercurrent to what is happening here. This season is about a small town in North Carolina where the local government has failed its people. The people here can't trust government to do its job. And if something horrible like this happens, no one can accept it because there's so much perception of corruption. Now, I'm not saying that the police and the sheriff and the DA and the state investigators aren't doing their jobs properly. I'm just saying that even if they were, the public doesn't trust them. Think about it this way, we wouldn't know anything about the Word of Faith Fellowship and all its allegations if the government seriously looked into matters, if secret grand jury investigations weren't leaked to Jane Whaley, if the DA took Matthew Fenner's case seriously and treated it as a hate crime, if dozens of child abuse cases weren't wiped clean because the church made some deal with the Department of Social Services if the US Attorney's Office would have taken action with the dozens of Brazilians accusing the church of forced labor and human trafficking. In order for government to work, there has to be trust. So when something horrible like this happens, how are we supposed to get closure? The church is slipping. Right now, five of its ministers are facing trial. Sure, it's taken five years to actually start the trial, but at least it's moving. And three of the Word of Faith Fellowship members have pled guilty to unemployment scams. Even Jane Whaley herself was named in one of the court documents. And there's even signs that her influence with local politicians is falling apart. Here's a secret recording of a prominent North Carolina politician talking about the church.
5: I think I've been there two or three times just for special events. And I hate it. I hate going down there. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a three-hour ordeal. Uh, they'll take you, and they sit you on the front row, and they have somebody with you all the time. Mm. And so you can't just get up and go to the bathroom and wander down the hallways. That's not the way that works. Mm. Which first, That's your first clue that there's something strange here. Uh, when you get out of your car, there's somebody standing there waiting to, to guide you and be with you. Sit you on the front row. You have dedicated seats. Sit you on the front row. And then they do this. They'll do a, like a kid's. Uh, uh, singing for you and it busts your eardrums. You're sitting on the front row and the kids are screaming when they're singing, and it is torture. I made my daughter go with me one time. She was pissed. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, no, I mean what are they afraid of? That? I don't understand what they're so afraid of. What's this? All this? If you're not about? doing anything wrong, you shouldn't be afraid of stuff. That's right. the way I look at it. Yeah. So, so I, I, I know. I, I don't know this for sure, but I have a great feeling that they're probably guilty of what they've been charged of. Hmm. I, I would assume that would be it. it uh, it's you know, and I'll tell you just. And again, I will want this out for public consumption. Is we're start we we've kicked around. You know how do we how do we get these folks out of the party? I mean, because we're concerned about it. Yeah. And And uh, the best I hate to say it, but the best way to do it is, we may start serving beer and wine at every uh, executive <laughs> committee we have, so they won't come. <laughs> <laughs> that what you got to go? Yeah, well, it. you're going to get a lot of Democrats showing up.
0: I'm gonna have to leave this story here, but it's certainly not over, not even by a long shot. If this were a play, we're just now at the intermission. There's gonna be a lot coming, and I might follow up and start a podcast devoted to the Prophet, or I may not, I'm not sure. But for now, I have to put a lid on this story. There's plenty of places that you could go to keep up with the story as it unfolds, and I'll list them in my show notes. For one, follow John Huddle's blog religiouscultsinfo.com or follow the Citizens Against Corruption and Abuse on Facebook. This has been a wild season, and there's more to come in Season 4. Here is a preview. Remember the White House Party Crashers?
4: This is going to be the hottest ticket in town. And so, you know, we walked in, it just turned into the life of the party and we we're taking pictures with everyone. We, look, we had a blast.
0: How about Yuri Geller, the mentalist who the U.S. government used for psychic warfare? Yeah, so they were the ones who called the CIA and I guess they were the ones who talked to Keith
2: Green in Langley, Virginia. And they said to him, listen, we got we this guy we just don't know how he, he bends spoons, how he reads minds, and how he does these amazing things for us. Will really you study him? And that's how Xavier, I got out of Israel.
4: And then I started working for them, they wanted to see if my mind can trigger a nuclear bomb.
0: Could you trigger a nuclear bomb if you wanted to, with your mind? Um, I, I, I don't want to go there, and I talked to a big-time drug dealer who flipped and became an informant for the FBI.
4: I've got a name. Uh, My street name was BoJack. I didn't do drugs. No way. He did his own product. That was his problem. But he taught me everything to the point where I'd go pick it up, the load, I'd bag everything, deliveries, I would collect, I did collections. I did it all.
0: Yeah, season four is going to be awesome. Make sure to find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram so you can find out when the new season premieres. And even though we're waiting for season four, I'm going to keep posting on Patreon some new material, plus an extended version of the Jolly Rogers Social Club with a brand new interview. Thank you so much for being part of this wild ride with me. This season took Everything out of me. And if you like the serialized storytelling, I think I'll do it again. So send me some story ideas at Javier at PretendRadio.org. Oh, and one more thing before I go I'd like to thank Amy Smith. Amy gets to listen to all the bonus material that I post on Patreon. You can support the show too on Patreon. Just go to PretendRadio.org and hit the donate button. In fact, I'm going to play you some promos for some awesome indie podcasts, but stick around because after that, I'm going to play you one of the bonus episodes so you can get a taste for what you're missing out on. But honestly, if you really want to support this show, the easiest thing and the best thing you can do is tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone, because this show is still undiscovered. Thank you so much for listening. I hope 2019 brings you lots of joy. All right. I'm signing off for now. See you season four. Here are some promos for some podcasts you need to check out.
3: You've heard the stories about murder and homicide. But what about the rest of the crimes committed daily? What about the police officer who robbed banks during lunch? Or the multi-million dollar diamond heist? What about the assaulters, stalkers, and arsonists? I'm Lindsay, the host of Mugshot. Mugshot is a new true crime podcast that tells the stories of non-murderous crimes. Season one has begun and new episodes release on Mondays. Mugshot can be found on most podcatchers and on social media at the handle at MugshotPod. I hope you'll join me, but until then, be on your best behavior or you'll end up with your own mugshot.
6: In March of 2012, Israel Keys was pulled over outside of Lufkin, Texas. And in that moment, hundreds of lives would be forever changed, including mine. Join me on this strange, terrifying, and emotional journey as I attempt to find the missing, understand a killer, explore the impacts of crime, reconcile with those left behind, and subvert the genre of true crime. In the FBI files, they found images of over 40 missing persons on his computers.
3: I think it's fair to say that Israel Keyes had a fetish about missing people, which is why he wanted to ensure that his victims didn't get found.
6: True Crime Bullshit premieres December 6th on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Go to www.truecrimebullshit.com. Dot .com for more information.
0: There's only one attorney that I know of who's had the pleasure to stare Jane Whaley in the eye and make her squirm. It's my understanding that um, you are probably one of the few attorneys who have actually <laughs> um, cross-examined Jane Whaley. Yes, I,
4: I did. That was, um, I have to confess, the most fun I've ever had as an attorney.
0: Tell me about that. Like, I I know nothing about this.
4: This was in the uh, criminal case that was brought against Jerry Cooper. And what had happened is they were deposing Jerry Cooper during a, um, as part of a, a domestic case that was completely unrelated to him.
0: Jerry Cooper is a former member of the Word of Faith Fellowship. Jane claims that Jerry was making harassing phone calls to her. Jane says that he was cyber-stalking her with phone calls and text messages. Two years later, the church issued a subpoena to take him to court. Now you have to understand, Jerry Cooper is a minister in Uganda, okay? Mm
4: -hmm. They somehow had tracked him down, served him with a subpoena,
0: to do this deposition. Jerry flew back to North Carolina from Uganda and they went to court. And he asked Paul Dietz to represent him. The day of the deposition, things didn't go very well. And, you know, Word of Faith had all of their leadership there and
4: their attorneys and uh, tried to put on their whole show. Now, I'm not easily intimidated, so I just kind of chuckled at the whole thing. Um, you know, they tried to have their attorney make an opening statement and things like that, and I objected because you know the state represents in criminal charges. The DA was there, the assistant DA. I
0: was uh, I was going to ask that they, they sound like they're playing the role of the DA. I mean, yeah, they
4: were they were trying to, but no, the judge wouldn't let them, and the DA wouldn't let them. Um, so eventually, they put Jane up on the stand uh, to talk about her involvement in the case, and I got to cross-examine her. And I really kind of wish that the regular uh, rank-and-file membership of the church had been there, because if they would have, really the, the whole thing would have imploded, because they would have seen that she is just a human being, you know, She's not this godlike figure that she demands to be treated like. Because, you know, I would ask her a question and she would just kind of ignore the question and start a rambling answer about something completely different. And so I would interrupt her. I'd say, ma'am, I'm sorry, no, you can't do that. You need to answer my question. Um and that really she's not used to being questioned like that. She's not used to having her authority challenged. And she really kind of just fell apart on the stand. Um she did not make a compelling witness at all for her cause. And the upshot of it the trial took a lot longer than it should have. It took probably two or three hours. It was in district court, so as before a judge. It wasn't a jury trial. Right. And at the end of the case, the judge found, he dismissed one of the charges of the close of state's evidence and found him not guilty on the other. Um, and yeah, it, it felt pretty good, to
0: be honest with you. And as Jerry Cooper walks out of the courthouse, they served him with a warrant for his arrest. But they served him with
4: that warrant at the end of the deposition. They had a sheriff waiting to serve him and he was
0: placed under arrest um, and put in jail and had to make bond. But in the end, the court ruled against Jane and the Word of Faith Fellowship. Insight is a podcast that explores true crime and mysteries.
3: With two hosts from two continents.
0: We recommend trying some of our recent episodes, like our episode on Sylvia Brown, where we take a critical look at the famed psychic and the cases she staked her reputation on.
3: Or try our episode on Kanika Jenkins. After she was found in a hotel freezer, her death was ruled an accident, but her family does not want to believe it. We also recently covered the disappearance of Joan Reisch. Does the novel she took out of the library point to the answer to the mystery of what happened to her?
0: We also covered a case requested by many of our listeners, the circumstances leading up to the death of actress Natalie Wood.
3: You can find Insight in your favourite podcast app and all across social media just by searching for Insight Podcast. That's Insight, two words, podcast. Creative Babble.